Lately, my family has gotten a little behind on our doctor visits, but this year, that's changing. We're making health a priority with Emory Healthcare. My husband got the knee replacement he's been putting off. My mom is getting a heart procedure that Emory pioneered, and I scheduled my annual mammogram. And with so many virtual visit options, we are getting it done in 21. Make your health a priority at emoryhealthcare.org slash healthfirst. This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by Bellow Solar. Welcome to Energy Matters, a show about how you can save money on your utility bills, use technology wisely, and live a more sustainable lifestyle. Here's your host, veteran energy regulator and clean energy expert, Commissioner Tim Eccles. Thank you, Scott Slade. It is a great day to be talking about energy, sustainability, and especially ideas to save money in the process. It doesn't matter whether you live in Chicago, San Diego, or Atlanta. We're going to be talking about ideas that's going to help you live a more sustainable life. My guest co-host today, former state representative, the Honorable John Noel, and energy efficiency expert and owner of energy and environment. And John, I have to say, you have walked the talk when it comes to some of the ideas that we're going to be talking about. You got solar on your home, you got rainwater, condensate collection, you drive an electric car, and you even use Tesla batteries in your basement. Welcome to the show today as my guest host. Happy to be here, Tim. This is a great uh, opportunity, I think, for us to promote us all in the sustainability communities to promote this message. I've been at it 20 years in my business, talking about energy efficiency and how that relates, well, rather frankly, especially in a day of hurricanes, to the climate and uh, to climate change, in my opinion. And I believe that uh, the, the things that we can do in our homes, just as I do them on commercial levels and business, like retrofitting lighting, making sure that our air conditioners are working more efficiently. When I got here, I made sure via my iPhone that my, my air conditioner at my home was off via Nest uh, thermostat. These sort of things are easy to implement. Some have rebates from Georgia Power. There's lots of opportunities we have to, to lower our footprint on the planet. And our guest today in this first segment is going to be the sustainability officer from athens Clark County, uh, Andrew Saunders, uh, and it's great to have you in the studio. Welcome, Andrew. Yeah, thanks for having me. You know, we're talking about how to save money on this show. This is uh, really a part of what we want listeners to be able to to do and implement. Have you been able to see this at a larger scale and working for, uh, you know, a county uh, in our state uh, to be able to help them save money for the taxpayers? Yeah, absolutely. We're crossing $200,000 in annual energy savings this Holy year. Holy smokes. Uh, and we're doing it through conservation and, and, and building better buildings and also deploying renewable energy. John, as you've retrofitted houses and businesses, I mean, wh- where's the biggest savings to be found for the consumer? I, you know, we could almost ask the question both of his government buildings and of my commercial and independent customers. Uh, I'm going to suspect his answer is going to be what mine would be, which is that lighting retrofits yield the fastest paybacks. But now we're finding out that the HVAC control systems, that uh, even water and rain capture, uh, some of these things have fast paybacks too. Uh, there's ways to capture water off of uh, chillers and and uh, and larger air conditioners and put it back into uh, water that can be used for irrigation. Things people don't think about. Well, when water rates are high in Atlanta or wherever your water rates are, there is a real uh, savings to be had there. You know, Andrew, as we think about tips to give our audience to save energy, to save money, I mean, 
you've got a couple of those that you've brought in today. Let's start with the first one. What, what do you think is uh, one of the easiest things for uh, an energy customer to do? So I would encourage everybody to start with a plan. And most of us aren't energy experts. And so that plan can be provided by a third party. Uh, the thing I like about an energy audit, whether it's your home or business, is that in many cases, the utilities are actually rebating money for that service. And then once you have that, you can just systematically attack it. I've been working my own home audit for five years. That's a good point. So, John, an audit, I mean, Georgia Power will do these audits free. They send a, a person out in a Chevy Volt uh, and they yeah. assess it. What, what do they usually find when they go into an older house? So an older house, you're typically going to find poor insulation. Uh, you're going to find older incandescent lights, uh, uh, can lights, you know, 60-watt incandescent BR30s. Sounds crazy, but when I first got into the business, that was a $15 LED bulb. Now it's a 2 or $3 LED bulb that you can buy at Home Depot. Wow. So it's easy retrofits, and you test different colors, you know, that sort of thing. Lots of opportunities are available residentially. Andrew, thinking about commercial businesses, car yeah. dealerships, other places with big parking lots, so what would be uh, your number two uh, so advice? So lighting, lighting, and more lighting. As John mentioned, uh, in the, in, interior and outdoors, it's great. We're finding LED lighting is having a one-to-two-year one payback on the stuff that our staff is installing. That's right. You know, I just put in a, a Cree LED floodlight out, mm -hmm. outside uh, just because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to be able to save, you know, 10 or $15 probably, you know, a year just, you know, with that, with that one bulb. So how about number three? So I would encourage people to consider driving an electric vehicle. First of all, it's super fun. Uh, I've been an EV driver myself. Oh, yeah. And then those, those, those regular costs are much less. So you're looking at about a quarter of the cost for fuel. And then you're not doing oil changes. You're pretty much guaranteed to not have to do brakes. It's just an overall cheaper vehicle to drive. Bingo. Yeah, John, yeah. you've got an electric vehicle. Do uh, yeah. yeah, I charge my Tesla that TO uh, the excuse me, I was about to use it the TOU the time of use rate a low evening rate, and uh, I would be stunned if it cost me more than five dollars to fill up a car, my car from zero at night. Yeah, uh, Andrew, you've got time of use on your list as well. Let's let's talk about that. What do you mean by time of use rates? So there are these rates where the utility company will compensate you for the time that the energy is cheaper for them. So if you can shift your load, like your car or your washer and dryer, uh, into the nighttime, past 7 o'clock, then you can get it cheaper. And the thing I love about energy conservation and EVs is the more you get into this, the more you start to really pay attention of how am I using energy and when am I using it? And that pays back financially. And the beautiful thing here, Tim, too, is that you uh, now have these apps like with the Tesla Powerwall. You can see real time, and I'm looking at it right now, how much solar you're producing. And if you don't have solar, it still tells you how much your house is using and how much you're pulling from the grid. So you now have this idea, this ability to use either solar power, battery power, grid power, and do it all the times you want yeah. based on the costs you've signed up for. And it's a real, the options available out there are really significant. You know, I found that, uh, and I've been on the time of use rate, uh, you know, with both Georgia Power and an EMC. And I find that the more I think about energy, uh, the more I save yeah. because I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, okay, wow, uh, am I, do I really need to keep these lights on right now? And I just have become uh, almost uh, paranoid about it. And even when I travel at a conference or something, even, even though technically I'm not paying the utility bill at the hotel, I find myself adjusting that thermostat. I find myself turning those lights out and really 
uh, conserving. I mean, it is kind of a lifestyle, isn't it, it, Andrew? It basically infects you. The same thing happens to me everywhere I go. I walked into this building today and looked up to see what kind of lights they had. And You're how my kind of guy, running. Andrew. Yeah. I like you. Well, uh, how about number five? So look, consider going for solar. Uh, that market has changed dramatically. It's about 70% cheaper than it was five years ago. I personally have it on my home, and for me, it's a 10-year payback, and it's 25-year asset, so it was a slam dunk. Um, there's also community solar arrays that you could look at if you're looking for something in a utility or you live in a shady area. Yeah, let's talk about community solar just for a second, because sometimes people can't afford to put solar on their home, or like you said, it's shady, or their homeowners association says, no, you can't put panels on your roof. So we've got utilities like Walton EMC that have built community solar projects. And now Georgia Power has several around the state where you can call them and subscribe to a kilowatt uh, of community solar. I mean, is this a, you know, as you go to these conferences for other sustainability officers, are you seeing more and more community solar across the U.S.? Yeah, basically in every market that I'm engaged with. I think the first array that I was ever aware of came out of Orlando. And I just fell in love with the idea that you could basically own a small part of that and be compensated for how well it produces. You know, uh, and Velo Solar is uh, a sponsor for this half hour. They and a lot of other large utility-scale solar companies have really gone all over middle and south Georgia uh, in specific and put very large arrays down there due to a plan that's, that's been set up by the commission. And... Uh, what we found with solar today is, is that it's basically cheaper than any other fuel that we can get. Uh, and so it's a much different day, uh, John, than it was uh, 10 years ago or 20 years ago with right. solar, isn't it? Yeah, watching these cost curves, you know, coal's always been pretty stable. Uh, other other energy sources have always been uh, up and down, but they've always had a level. Solar has been on this uh, just rocket ship down. It's like it's like being on a, a roller coaster and just doing the down part. And we are we are now so cheap, we're below coal, we're below any other energy source, and when you start pairing it with batteries like they're doing in Australia and some other places, you can you can store that for the nighttime use. So we're really in a different world. So let me wise. ask you about batteries, uh, John, because I, it seems like at every conference I go to that batteries are the topic of conversation. I mean, a, am I right in thinking that this next decade is going to be the decade of the battery, or are we going to be one more decade away before we just have massive battery installations across the U.S.? Uh, this is the decade of the battery, and, and no more so evident than now. 60% drop in energy uh, of battery costs and energy production keeps going up. So the efficiencies of the battery keep going up. Price keeps going down. That's a great curve. Sounds kind of like, what, microchips and computers. And over the last five years, a 60% reduction in cost. So you have just the confluence of all these variables driving batteries, which is going to drive solar, which are going to be paired together. I just have a microcosm of that, a more expensive microcosm because I was an early adopter, but a microcosm of that in my home. Yeah, Andrew, if you you look at public policy for cities and counties, over the next decade, what do you see counties and cities doing as kind of the next sustainability step for the average county or city? Well, I think energy is important, and I think one of the things that we're really focused on is how to engage with low-income communities and, and make sure that this technology is available for everybody and not just folks like John and myself who might be able to be early adopters. You're right. You're right. You know, right. I, I was uh, at an EV conference in Portland, and one of the things they were doing is talking about how to help low-income communities realize the 
you know, the low operational cost of electric vehicles. And they were attempting to make these available, uh, used electric vehicles, making them available to uh, community centers. And, you know, I hope to see more of that in Georgia. Well, Andrew, it's been great having you uh, here on our show today. Keep up the great work. You're doing a fantastic job, uh, you know, for athens Clark and in, and with sustainability in general. Yeah, Thank thanks you, for having me. Yes, sir. Great. Well, uh, we'll be back with a great guest to talk about composting uh, in the next segment. So stick around. This is Energy Matters. Gas South believes in the difference we can all make, like the difference in putting people first and showing that you care. For us, our difference is saving people money with our best rates and no deposit, and the difference we make in our community by taking care of our friends and neighbors and giving back 5% of our profits to help children in need. Learn more about what makes us different at GasSouth.com. Gas South. The difference is good. Welcome back to Energy Matters, a show to help you save money on your utility bills, use technology wisely, and live a more sustainable lifestyle. My guest co-host today is former Representative John Noel, owner of Energy and Environment. And John, you've spent... 20 years in this space in your house and your office and i've been been to both is a virtual laboratory for ah. saving energy water uh and money i mean it's taken you a while to to get to this place it ha- it's taken me a while but there's always more to do and there's always more to learn and that's why i'm so excited about this program and Kristen, who I'm excited about what she's doing. Yeah, Kristen Baskin's going to be our guest. And, uh, John, I recently hiked to the hike in, and some folks may know this, uh, up on the Appalachian Trail uh, in uh, in North Georgia. It's a rustic lodge and built 20 years ago, but you access it through Amicalola State, Amicalola Falls State Park, and it's a five-mile hike to get there, and it almost killed me uh, on the fifth mile. I was with my 18-year-old <laughs> daughter. Uh, but Hike In is all about educating their guests on energy conservation, on sustainability. And I think what surprised me the most was their use of composting, which is the theme of this segment. And, John, even with their toilets, they were using compo- composting right. toilets, which used no water, and uh, and eventually made an odor-free fertilizer for their plants uh, and gardens. So you recently bought a unique composter, right? I, I did. Uh, it was an Israeli technology. It's called a bio gas uh, uh, system. And essentially what you're doing is you're putting, com- I can't wait to talk to you about it, Kristen. Essentially what you're doing is you're putting in compost into a big vat, plastic vat, gas builds up, it's captured in another vat, and then you burn it off and use it. Well, our guest today is Kristen Baskin. She's the CEO of Let Us Compost. It's an Athens-based company. Welcome, Kristen. Thank you for having me. This is so exciting. I've never been on the radio. Well, we are glad to have you and, and, and your company, and I'm a supporter of, the, uh, of your organization. Uh, you give customers bins and, and compostable bags, and you do curbside pickups for a small fee, right? Tell us how it works. Yes, we do. So we do mostly residential, but this this year a lot of businesses have been reaching out to us, which is really exciting. So for some reason, something that everybody really wants to do. So we're just trying to respond to the demand right now and help make them make it as easy as possible. I was up at the Biltmore Estate recently. My daughter, um, I have seven children, but my number six child works up there. Um, as uh, she's a college student in Asheville, and that's her part time job. But I noticed that they were composting all of their food waste there. Uh, and I know Cox Enterprises does the same thing through their Cox Conserves programs at their Sandy Spring headquarters. 
uh, in Atlanta. So h- how does this work on a commercial scale if I have a business or an office park or something like that? How, how, do, you, how do you compost on a commercial scale? So composting on a commercial scale, uh, you just, from the outset, just one, decide you're going to do it, and you plan it the same way that you plan trash and recycling. So if you're if it's new construction, you plan out where is the trash going to go, and you just add a compost bin into the mix and make sure it looks it's a different color than everything else. You communicate with the chefs. You make sure you get the right vendors. So it's actually the exact same process. It's as if you're going through a catalog, and the catalog used to end at page 60, and now it ends at page 80, and you just pick some new stuff and you start saving money and saving the planet and everybody has a ton of fun. Yeah, so it's really kind of a form of recycling, right? Just for perishable items or is it more than that? Hmm. Re- recycling and composting are best friends. So I don't think, like, I don't know if you were in a, re- in a wrestling match, like if one would take the other one down or if they would just hug or <laughs> dance. Like ah. it's not, but I think they're, they're just different. So with composting, you're actually, so you're diverting from the landfill and then you're actually making soil. Um, And so we partner with athens Clark County, and luckily we have a commercial composting facility that's 10 minutes from everywhere we go, and it's so lucky. Um, So basically all the food food that goes there and the compostable wares, meat, um, that's all turned into food compost within like two months. And then all of that is sold back to the community. So for $12 a yard, they can get food compost. Um, And it's just... So it's ta- really cheap and really great. Take me through your business model. I mean, you actually have people going out like on bicycles and collecting uh, the food waste, uh, or have y'all moved to, to trucks or other vehicles? Or how's it, how does it happen? Um, we we have tried every way under the sun to do this business, and I, feel, I think we're after six years, we're finally on the right path. Um, we've got a really great team, some new partners, and. You're going to see a lot of exciting changes coming, so I can't wait. You know, when you think about, John, when you think about an entity as big as the Biltmore State, 1,800 mm-hmm. employees, yeah. multiple restaurants, it's multiple huge. hotels, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, Bill Cecil, uh, who is, you know, a descendant, you know, from uh, the Vanderbilts. Uh, I mean, he, he went to... University of Colorado Boulder. He, he got an environmental degree out there. He certainly knows and has been trained uh, by some of the best. But taking a, an organization like that, I mean, if they can do it, there's probably a lot of other folks in Georgia that could do the same thing, couldn't they? No, no question they could. And and what, what fascinated me about what Kristen started and why I just was wild about her from the moment I met her was there was a bike that she decided, I'm going to pick it up, not even using, an, as I like to call them, infernal combustion vehicles to pick up, up the stuff. So she's not burning fossil fuels. She's burning her own fuel on a bike with a, with a, with a little trailer behind it, grabbing compost from people in the residential neighborhood. I mean, th- these are innovative ways of collecting and thinking about, just as it is on a large scale at Biltmore. And, and that's why I really wanted to have her on the show today, is to is to promote this good idea, mm, and, yeah. and I think the average person, you know, as we toss our food in our trash can or down the uh, disposal, right. you know, uh, into the water system. I mean, putting it down a disposal is really not the best use for old food, is it? I'm told it's the worst, actually. Yeah, and and it's not good for the it's not good. This the uh, wastewater treatment people will tell you they do not like it. So we're not doing them a favor at all. 
you know, it's probably better to put it in the trash can than down the disposal because at least going to the landfill as it piles up, at least if it's a landfill like, say, the Gwinnett County landfill where we're piping the methane off and we're right. burning that methane to create electricity, at least you get some secondary use. Mm-hmm. Or DeKalb County where they're piping it off and, and actually cleaning that gas and putting it into a trash truck and having their trash trucks run right. on on methane. So, you know, I think we just need to be thinking out of the box on this kind of thing. I mean, John, as you think about how to get more people doing this composting, I mean, it, it, I mean, Christian started in Athens, Georgia, but how do you take it to other places? That's a that's a great question, Christian. How do you do it? I mean, it's hard enough for me to sell lighting projects. How do you sell composting? Oh, it's easy. Oh, well, tell us. Well. All right, I'm going to go back to what you said about the bikes. So, <clears throat> so with the bikes, you were saying that the humans were essentially, you know, like fueling them instead of gasoline. So, you essentially have, like, instead of having a gasoline pump in the office, you just have tons and tons of water, and so you're literally like seeing the water just drain down the way that you would see gasoline drain down. And so that's the, really cool. The bikes are actually fueled by water. That doesn't answer your question, but the way that it scales is just by education. So, if you find a model that works and you find a way to train people, for example, in a restaurant. You know, how did how did they go from not composting to composting? I mean, that's probably a one page document that can be shared with anybody. Right. People so, asking. Yes, right? exactly. I so, want to know that. Yeah, yeah. So people ask and then and we share. And in the composting community, there's like this really fun sharing environment. Businesses are always helping each other. Um, so that's how it grows is we just we just keep sharing that information. Or people like me say, hey, it's kind of nice to be able to cook your burgers on a methane burner using the gas from the composted food that you put in there a few weeks ago. And John, let's talk about chicken just for a second, since we're talking about food. Uh, I was I mm. was walking through a neighborhood, and I saw this guy holding this clear, looked like gas can, but it wasn't red. It was a, a clear can. He was pouring this into this old Mercedes Benz, and I was going, that is really odd that he's pouring fuel into a Mercedes. It just didn't fit. And so I went up to him and I said, uh, "Hey, what are you doing?" He said, "Well, I actually." go around to restaurants and collect chicken grease and french fry oil and here in my garage i have this laboratory where i have concocted a way to uh, add a little bit of that and a little bit of this to my fuel and i'm actually burning uh chicken grease um in you know biodiesel in my mercedes so i mean if we're talking about sustainability uh these oils that are being used at restaurants, and we have you know thousands of them That's right. uh, in our state. It may be an untapped resource. It is an untapped resource, and uh, you know we're seeing that there's there's opportunities even in uh, capturing this off of industrial processes, uh, uh, chicken processing plants, and others. All this waste. I mean, think about it, the residential waste is bad enough, but the commercial waste is a real problem. So this is an opportunity for us to generate power and generate fuel. You know, uh, to our audience, as you think about sustainability, just think about a complete circle. You know, that's, that's kind of how I like to describe it. You know, I have a humidifier in my basement, and I take that water and I pour it onto my plants, and my plants are getting the benefit uh, of that water. In our forest industry, if you think about cardboard being collected at the back of a Walmart or a store, that cardboard is shipped down to uh, the West Rock paper plant uh, in East Dublin, mm-hmm. Georgia, and they make Starbucks cups out of this out of this uh, post content, uh, and that's, 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 that's a great a great use of that cup and cup um, of uh, of that fiber, and we're using 
wood chips to basically make the steam. Uh, and that slash that's been left over on the ground after we, after we harvest a, a, you know, a, a pine forest uh, mm. for pulp. And so if we think about sustainability, we're thinking about kind of closing the loop and completing the circle, right? That's, that's true. And there's other, there's other entities, too, that are also doing, that's, that are doing good work using waste, skimming waste off of wastewater treatment plants and creating biofuel from it. I'll do another pro- so, segment on that. But the idea is that there's so much waste out there. There's clever ways, whether it's practical and, and, and pedestrian ways uh, to do it, we can do it. Well, Kristen, thank you so much for being on our show today. What's next for what's next for you? Just in our remaining twenty seconds. Oh well, <clears throat> I was just thinking that uh, with Let Us Compost, we essentially have a responsibility to the dirt and those who play in it. And I think just you know, adults just getting outside and playing as much as they can makes them love the environment and make it a better place. Well, best of luck to you. I really appreciate the great work that you're doing. Hey, you're listening to Energy Matters, and stick around, and we're going to talk to one of my favorite folks in the state, Stephanie Stuckey, about resiliency in the next segment. This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by Arnold Golden and Gregory. Welcome to half hour number two of Energy Matters. This show has a mission to help you save money while you try to go green and be more sustainable. I'm your host, Commissioner Tim Eccles of the Georgia Public Service Commission. And if you are wondering if this can be done by a business or a corporation, let me tell you that Cox Enterprises has shown that it can. And they do this through their Cox Conserves program, which I've seen up close and personal. It's a trademark program of Cox Enterprises with ambitious goals to send zero waste to the landfill and to be carbon and water neutral by 2044. And Tim, Cox Enterprises has already invested more than $100 million in projects that have enhanced the efficiency of their operations. The, you know, they improved their facilities, saved energy, reduced waste, um, and really supporting environmental nonprofits. So, John, let me ask you, have you seen these uh, lime or these bird scooters uh, that uh, are in Atlanta? Seen them. I've been on them. Really? Yes. Heck yes. I didn't have to go to I didn't have to go to the left coast to get on one of those, although I did. It was actually uh, just recently I jumped on uh, some moving around and made my way faster to a dinner date. It was fabulous. Yeah. So did you ride on the street or the sidewalk? Sidewalk. Yeah. And did you ever feel unsafe or did you almost run over anybody or? I was considerate and I slowed down when pedestrians walked by. But interestingly, on uh, in California, they mandate that you ride on the street. So you ride in the street bike lanes in California and then in some areas like Denver, you ride on the sidewalks. It's so weird. Do you think that these things are going to become like skateboards where people put up signs saying no scooters and and they don't allow these things. Uh, what 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 is your prediction? On this? I think they're people are loving them too much. They're going to figure out a way with rules and regs yeah. to make them work because they're so cool. Well, our next guest not only has an electric car, but she has an electric bike. Welcome, Stephanie Stuckey. Thank you, Tim. Thank you, John. Good to be here. Tell us about this electric bike that you have. It's not a scooter, right? No, it is a bicycle. And what I really love about it is that it was made in Georgia, Edison Bikes, which is an Atlanta company. Mm. Mm. And they are wonderful. You'll see them all around town. And I highly recommend them for anyone who might need to go maybe a mile or two between business-related meetings. You need to dress nicely and you don't want right. to get too sweaty. Right. You can have your electric bike. And also, if you're a, more of a commuter 
bicyclist as opposed to a workout, real, but not yeah, too much of a workout. Yeah, it's a good way if you have a steep hill, I like to click on that electric mode. If it's more flat, I will go manual and I actually do get a pretty good workout on my electric bike. Wow, that is impressive. Now, both of you have Teslas. And let me ask you this, because this is a question people ask about electric cars, uh, about the range and range anxiety. Do you guys have any range anxiety stories? Have you ever run out of electricity? John, let me start with you. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, actually, it was what inspired me to do do something totally insane, which was to get a, a Tesla. And that is, I had a little Leaf. I had a Nissan Leaf for three years. Loved that car. And we had an appointment. We had uh, a dinner date way up north of town. And I looked on the map, and it looked like it was north, and it turned out to be more north. And it was winter time. And the girlfriend got in the car with me. And as we are apt to do nowadays, because we can get into cars and not worry about having full winter coats on, we went up to the party. On the way back, I realized we weren't going to make it. And it was late, (laughs) and it was cold, and uh, the lady friend was not happy. Yeah. And that's when I realized I cannot monkey around anymore. I need range. Yeah. Yeah, range is important, which is why folks go with a car like the Tesla or the Chevy Bolt. How about you, Stephanie? Got any got any stories about range anxiety when you first started driving your EV? Unfortunately, yes. I think most of us probably do have one, and then you figure it out. It is a learning curve. I do want to say uh, that a Tesla actually can be affordable. I bought my Tesla pre-owned from Tesla, so it was vetted by the company and was in great shape, and I get a warranty with that. And then the Model 3s are also very affordable. Uh, My story is I went to a conference uh, in the Callaway Gardens area, and was charging at the hotel site. And I did not realize that I didn't have a, 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 a fast charger, which I'd gotten very used to. Oh, so it was a level right. two slower charger, mm-hmm. did not charge in time. And so I ended up being very, very late for an event back in Atlanta. But in the broad scale of things, uh, it was not as bad as breaking down on a cold winter's night with oh. a date. Well, turning the heater <laughs> off first, that's the problem. Yeah. 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 A lot of folks don't realize that, you know, on those Nissan Leafs that you turn the heat on, you lose eight or eight, eight or nine oh, miles. Oh, yeah. Oh, I really You drive that. fast, you lose another eight <laughs> or nine right. miles. But you uh, don't lose mileage sitting in traffic. That's true. Yeah, Which, he, if you are an Atlanta commuter, is a really important fact to know. Uh, that's true. You know, you, you think about idling, right, and the folks that maybe have a job that requires them to sit there and idle. I mean, EV, Stephanie, are a great replacement car for uh, something that's that's not driving very far, like a mall security car or something like that, and, and where they're sitting in there normally running the engine for heat, and with an electric car, you, you solve a lot of that problem, don't you? That's right. They're perfect for, uh, I'm looking over at Andrew, for city functions like uh, parking enforcement, you, uh, uh, mail, anything that requires frequent stops, school buses. So we're really getting the technology where we can start seeing more and more electric school buses. And that's so important, especially for young oh, children. The yes. Yeah. yeah. So, Stephanie, your most recent job was at uh, the city of Atlanta, where you were the chief resiliency officer. And I, I know that you and I work together a lot to see more chargers, more electric cars. But, you know, as you as you finished up your tenure there, you were able to place some orders for electric cars. Tell us tell us uh, what the city of Atlanta is doing in terms of electric vehicles. 
That's right. We did purchase electric cars, and we're talking a lot on the show today about uh, corporations and how they are sustainable and really can often lead the charge. So the City of Atlanta's program was done with a private corporation, so a public-private partnership, whereby we purchased 63 electric vehicles through this third-party entity. They took advantage of the tax credits since governments cannot get tax credits and held the cars for a requisite three-year period under the Internal Revenue Code. And then, so during that period, the city leased the cars. It really was a turnkey operation. Vision Fleet is the name of the company. And they maintained the cars. They did training for our staff. They helped right-size the fleet and identify which sedans were most appropriate based on the usage and mileage and where they would park. Uh, They did all that analysis. They cited the charging infrastructure for us, and they provided us metrics so we could evaluate the success of the program. So really a turnkey operation. So I highly recommend that cities consider public-private partnerships for EV programs. You know, I know one of the things Georgia Power is doing now through their electric transportation division is they're they're coming out and performing a will-it-work test for any company. Uh, you know, that's one of their customers that wants them to do that. So whether you're the port authority uh, in Savannah or whether you're uh, another city or a cab company or as long as you're a Georgia Power customer, they'll come out and evaluate whether or not switching to an electric car makes sense. Because, John, it doesn't always make sense to do it, does it? It doesn't always make sense. But it makes sense if they give you $500 and a business, a small business in uh, Georgia and Georgia Power Territory can get a $500 rebate from Georgia Power for putting in an EV charger. Um, but it doesn't always make sense. My business, for example, for a period had some, uh, you know, like service vehicles. Man, they can run all over town. They needed longer ranges and I wasn't going to spend $100,000 on a service truck. So uh, we were unable to do that. We had to have the old fossil fuel. You know, Stephanie, I was in an Uber focus group uh, just listening in at the request of uh, a friend of mine uh, and uh, and contributing a little bit and just adding some comments about electric vehicles because I've had three of them myself. But these Uber drivers, they were uh, they were very skeptical about whether or not an electric vehicle would have the range that they need. I mean, do you see us solving this problem in the future for rideshare or is this going to continue to be a problem? I think it's going to be solved as range increases, and more and more we're seeing affordability go down and range go up, which is the mix that we need to really scale up electric vehicles and have them be part of rideshare programs like Uber and Lyft. Stephanie, let me ask you, because you were the chief resiliency officer, and I'm I'm hearing that word a lot. What is the resiliency movement really about in our country? So the program that I was proud to be a part of is uh, 100 Resilient Cities, which was pioneered by the Rockefeller Foundation. And the Rockefeller Foundation really did a lot to promote and expand the idea of resilience. So I'm going to use their definition, which I think is a really good one. And that is urban resilience is the capacity of individuals, communities, institutions, businesses, and systems within a city to adapt, survive, and grow no matter what kinds of chronic shocks and acute stresses they experience. Mm. So really in short, I can say it's the ability to bounce back and not only bounce back, but in a way that you learn from what shocks and stresses the city experienced that caused that uh, that, that downturn. Mm. 
and then to grow and and even thrive in response to it. Yeah, so bouncing back from say a hurricane. I mean, That's I know right. we were we had outages in Georgia for uh, over half of our residents, and it took us about four and a half days to get everybody back on. So. That's a lot of time. Um, it's not like it was in Puerto Rico, for example, but certainly, you know, people are inconvenienced. They don't like that. And so the challenge is to continue to decrease that time over uh, That's right. and over again. And yeah. not just get back to the status quo, but to come back stronger. Yes. What can we do to improve? So the next time we have a hurricane or a severe incident, we're even stronger and better. How to learn from it. Well, I just have one more question as we finish up this uh, segment. Uh, Stephanie, as you think about your time at the city, what are you most proud of about your work there in the city, at the city of Atlanta? I have like three seconds for this. All right, I'll go really fast. I made a list. Uh, we passed the most aggressive and comprehensive EV-ready ordinance in the country. We onboarded awesome. EVs in our fleet. We mm-hmm. put solar on 25 municipal facilities with no upfront spending for the city. We did the largest energy savings performance contract in Georgia history, $160 million. We did the Grow A Lot Aglana program to put community gardens on uh, city-owned parcels. We did a public-private partnership with Rubicon Global to better manage our waste. And I will stop there. Oh, and an $8 million green infrastructure bond. Bam. We'll stick around because when we come back, we're going to talk about questions that folks have about all of these things. And we're going to answer them right here with our uh, studio crew. See you in a minute. Gas South believes in the difference we can all make, like the difference in putting people first and showing that you care. For us, our difference is saving people money with our best rates and no deposit. And the difference we make in our community by taking care of our friends and neighbors and giving back 5% of our profits to help children in need. Learn more about what makes us different at GasSouth.com. Gas South. The difference is good. Welcome back to the final segment of Energy Matters. And we've got all of our guests piled into the studio uh, to answer your questions. So let's get right to it. Uh, Question number one. Uh, Why is broadband or Internet service so spotty or inconsistent uh, throughout Georgia? What can I do if if I don't have decent Internet in my area? John, you've traveled the state far and wide. You You hear this complaint a lot? I hear this complaint a, a whole lot, and I think it is. I think it's fodder. Uh, I think it's political fodder for somebody somehow, somewhere. And I, I, I you and I are going to disagree on this, Tim. But I think the state, uh, and that being government entities, uh, need to play a far greater role in helping people, especially in rural areas, get broadband. It's going to cost money. You know, Congress passed uh, something called universal service way back when, and that that basically said that all citizens uh, should be given a landline if they want it without having to pay the cost of actually bringing it down their road or up their mountain or to their island. But we don't have universal broadband service. So if you look at the junk fees on the bottom of your landline or your cell phone, you'll see these universal uh, access charges, uh, these junk fees. And, John, what, what I'm afraid of is if we went to universal broadband, that mm. fee would go from $8 to $20, and everybody, everybody's bill would go up if they were mandated to take broadband every place. you think it's worth it? Uh, not those kind of dollar figures, but honestly, I, 
I think there's enough need out there. We got rural parts of this state in this country dying on the vine. We've got to do something. And if the, and if the legislature won't appropriate money for it, and the economics to the, to the to the free market capitalist friend across the way here, well, if it's economic driven, well, by golly, we ought to be doing something to make it more economic because it can't be to Farmer Smith out at the end of that road. You know, and I think what's what's even more difficult than Farmer Smith is this Farmer Smith's little girl who goes to school has an assignment that Bingo. requires the internet, and she comes home and she can't get on the exactly she can't right. get on the internet, and her parents have to take her to the McDonald's so, in order to be so able to do it. So it's hard for Farmer Smith to get his products to understand when rain's coming to all these other things. But it, but with his daughter's having a problem, that's a that's a big problem. There's a huge divide, economic, educational, in this state and all over the country, and broadband is the way to solve it. And if that means a few more dollars on a bill, well, by golly, I'll pay it. Yeah, it's it's something I think that the legislature and I've got two legislators in the studio. I mean, Stephanie, you travel to South Georgia a lot. You hear this complaint out there from people. I do, and I'm originally from Middle Georgia, and it most definitely is a problem. So, uh, you know, I do anticipate eventually Congress doing something about this and the fees are on the phones are going to go up. But I think eventually landlines are probably going to go away. I mean, we keep losing about 5% per year. Uh, so anyway, it's not a problem we're going to be able to solve today. Let's take a look at question two. I'm starting my first job. Should I get an electric car? If so, what kind? Andrew, you've had uh, Nissan Leaf. I've had a couple of Nissan Leafs. What do you think? Uh, should uh, somebody having their first job get an electric car? Well, so what I would ask is just to make sure that you know your commute, because if you're starting an elect- uh, a job three communities over, then, then check that range. Um, but the answer is yes, and I would encourage you to consider a used electric vehicle, because really it is some of the most bang for the buck you can get in the used vehicle market right now. Cheap. I yeah. like to call pre- I, I call mine pre-owned. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Pre-owned kids. Pre-owned They're a great deal. Yeah, you, how, how cheap? I mean, give me dollars. Um, I'm I, I check regularly, and I'm seeing good quality vehicles in the eight to ten thousand dollar range. Wow. Wow. You know, John, as you think about this federal tax credit, the seventy-five hundred dollar federal tax credit, that is going away for some manufacturers. Yes, isn't it? Wasn't back it? for Tesla, it's already expired. They hit their two hundred thousand dollar manufacturing two hundred thousand manufacturing mark, which is the magic number. But it goes away gradually, so it goes to half. So it's thirty-seven hundred dollars, which on Tesla is a drop in the bucket. But on uh, other electric cars, it's not. GM's got a great product with huge range, uh, like some kind of Bolt. I think it's called the Bolt. It's unbelievable. It's a huge range. It's very simple and fine car. And you got this. You got the Chevy Volt used ones that are out there uh, available. So yeah. So uh, to our audience, I think about getting a used electric vehicle. Okay. Question number three. I've been thinking about getting solar on my home. Should I wait until battery technology improves, or should I do both of them? Uh, Stephanie, you've just recently signed up. What's this Solarize program that you were telling me about? Solarize is a great way to drive down the cost of solar because the parts and the services are aggregated over a high number of residential mostly, but some business, rooftop capacity. So Athens has had a very successful Solarize program. So Andrew may be able to speak better about the end results. Atlanta is a little over halfway through our program. The more consumers that sign up to put solar on their rooftop, the lower the cost. You know, Andrew, when we first did the Solarize program on Tybee Island down in Savannah in, in Chatham County, I was surprised that that of the 600 or so folks that signed up, 
uh, initially for evaluation, only 60 wound up being able to get the the solar because of those big live oak trees or because of their credit or because of the the roof, right? Because these panels may last longer than the roof. You don't want to have to then pull those panels off in seven years and replace replace the roof. Uh, So, I mean, have you seen the Solarize program be effective? Is that something you'd recommend uh, folks get involved with? Yeah, so I was a participant participant myself, and in 2016 in Georgia, 70% of all residential solar came through Solarize Athens. So it certainly is a model to to look into. It's particular to this question, whether or not you should wait until batteries are economically viable. I would say no, because I had to make this decision myself. And what you can do today is get the equipment that is battery ready. And that way you can go ahead and have the solar producing. And then when it makes economic sense for you to get a battery, you just layer it right in there. Wow. Well, and J- uh, John, you've got batteries yeah, there I, I, with I've solar. I've got them. Yeah. But he's right about getting stuff ready. So if you're building a house, spend that extra 150 bucks, just like the law that Stephanie helped get passed does, that says hey, there ought to be an EV charging spot or at least power to some spot in the garage. The same with batteries. Go ahead and run power so that you run it all the way down from your panels and you're ready for the batteries when that price gets cheaper. I do want to add a quick point to the trees and the the roof roofing capacity. I have both of those issues with my house, and I'm folding them into my overall cost of the project. Yeah. So there is a way you can package that very nicely and it's a great opportunity so now i'm getting my roof reinforced i'm getting solar and a few trees that need trimming are being trimmed but they're all being saved so john at my house on oakmont circle in winterville i put solar thermal on Mm -hmm. uh, and it was made by power partners an athens company Mm -hmm. and it was about sixty three hundred dollars and i got a federal tax credit and a state state tax credit did about five years ago uh, and and those performed very well. I mean, solar thermal, you never hear people talking about it. Why is solar thermal that heats hot water, why is it just not so popular like solar PV? You know, it's not sexy. Uh, if you, it's just not. people. It, it doesn't create electricity. You can't exactly quantify what's coming out. Yeah, it comes in cold and comes out hot, but like that's confusing for people um and the efficiencies have not been there really you and i have panels solar thermal panels that are you know they're effective and my hot water heater doesn't turn on but at a commercial scale it's harder now there's new technologies that are coming out there so like everything the trend is our friend in this in this realm you would think that on a building that you know is going to be there for a while like a a UGA dorm or a prison or a hotel. It is mind-numbing to me that we're not doing yeah, that. That, yeah. that. We should put solar thermal on. I mean, Andrew, have you have you heard talk about solar thermal? I and mean, PV is the popular thing, but what about thermal? Well, let me provide some insight on that. So we have the biggest solar thermal installation in the state in Athens. And at this point, the market has spoken, and it's cheaper for us to go with PV than it is to go solar thermal. You mean to actually heat the water with photovoltaic panels then use a thermal panel yes because we don't run hotels we don't have constant hot water demand and so when the sun is not heating water through pv that those electrons are available for use elsewhere in our buildings wow uh, let me jump to question number four and you think about composting and gardening and some of the things that we've we've talked about we're in a very agricultural state and we we're in a state where i know when i grew up we had a garden and we canned and we froze food not as popular as it used to be but Kristen, outside of 
outside of your service territory and you guys picking up compost uh, compostable materials from people, how can a person outside of your service area start composting if they've never done it before? Sure. So um, a lot of people struggle with it because they, they start with the equipment first uh, before starting with what composting is. So composting is just the breaking down of organic matter. Uh, it's nitrogen and carbon coming together. So it's any kind of um, food scraps, uh, manures coming together with like broken up leaves and wood chips. So if you can make that combination in your backyard, that's all you need to do. And then the enclosure or the collector is just kind of frosting. Yeah, Don't so, need it. So yeah. you can reach Kristen at lettucecompost at gmail.com and she'll give you all kind of advice for that. Last question for our our panel uh, has to do with these different rate plans. Uh, so, I mean, the average person looks at their utility bill at the end of the month, but there's some different plans out there, Andrew, uh, where folks can uh, can be creative and actually save energy. Things like a, a time of use rate or a smart, you know, uh, any kind of budget billing or other things like that. What do you recommend that they call their utility and look at something like that? Absolutely, and utilities are usually pretty good about helping you. I personally am an Jackson EMC customer, and with not without knowing my job or who I was, they went ahead and ran a full analysis of a year's worth of data for me and gave me the dollars and cents outcome. Wow! Wow! Well, look, these are, these have been great suggestions from our panelists. And if you have a question, you feel free to hit me up on Twitter at Tim Eccles, and we'll try to answer your question on a future show. I want to thank our sponsors, Velo Solar and Cox Conserves. And to our guests today, Andrew Saunders and Kristen Baskin, former Representative Stephanie Stuckey. And a very special thank you to my guest host, the Honorable John Noel, and our producer, Amber Henderson. And until next time, I'm Commissioner Tim Eccles. And energy does matter. Thanks for listening today. Pop quiz. What's 80% air, soft where you want it, firm where you need it, made in a lab, and breathes? The GelFlex grid. And only Purple mattresses have it. It's a super stretchy, ultra-squishy material that adapts and flexes around pressure points and doesn't retain heat. Purple mattresses cradle, support, and soothe, giving you the best night's sleep ever. And right now, get a free set of sheets and a pillow with the purchase of select Purple mattresses at purple.com slash sleep well. Terms apply.